to this episode of our new AWS podcast series, Innovation Ambassadors. I'm Sarah Armstrong, and as Senior Manager for Worldwide Prototyping at AWS, I'll act as your ambassador to some of the most interesting engagements with our AWS prototyping teams. Today, we're showcasing the journey of 3M, global powerhouse in applying science to develop products to improve lives daily. And 3M's work with the AWS Global Verticals prototyping team. From 3M, I'm excited to welcome to the studio Rob Kishka, Senior R&D Manager. Thanks for joining us, Rob. Thank you, Sarah. And Carrie Ingeritsen, Digital Systems Architect for 3M. Carrie, welcome. Thank you for having us. So we're exploring today how 3M is bringing their culture of experimentation and innovation that they're known for in the materials and applied sciences to the technology solutions that power the research and development of new products. So Rob, can you help us understand 3M's product development journey and your vision for bringing innovative technology solutions to the R&D space? Sure. So think about the act of sort of creating a commercial product being in two major chunks. The first you might think of as being that that phase between that first idea, the, the sort of classical light bulb moment, and when you're able to sort of hold something in your hand that demonstrates all the properties that customers ask for. Now that product may not be scaled yet, but it has all the parameters you know the customer wants. And then the second phase would be taking that product and then investing in the manufacturing technology to be able to bring it uh, to the market at the right volume and with the right price. So what we're talking about today really is looking at that first phase, that first stage of how do we accelerate the process of idea to really validated uh, prototype. It, it has all the parameters we need, uh, and yet we have confidence it can be scaled, but we haven't made that large investment yet. It's, it's very much mm. proving something is possible. Right. The art of the possible, we call it, right? Yeah. Or proving that it's not impossible. That process really resonates with us at AWS Prototyping because that's the approach that we take, right? We talk about prototyping the art of the possible, and then there's that second transition to the productization yes. of uh, the the solution. So yeah, t tell us more about how this, this idea for reimagining your R&D process came about. Sure. So let's think about that first phase, you know, idea to demonstrate a product concept. What we actually want to do, it sounds a bit bizarre, but what we actually want to do is show that it's not impossible mm -hmm. um, because we claim everything that is possible that is worth doing, we should do first. Now, if, if we spend a long time getting from idea to product concept, a lot of wasted effort at something which may not be, again, may not be possible because we'd like to know if it isn't. Um, and also, you've got to bear in mind the external landscape is moving all the time. And by the time we've gotten to this validated product concept, it may well be irrelevant. And, and mm -hmm. in certain circumstances, that does happen. So speed then becomes a really important competitive advantage. How quickly can we get to that point of knowledge where we know something is possible and it is worth investing in that scale up? So that's the critical piece. Now, let me tell you a, a story about how this, this whole sort of vision came to be. We were fortunate enough, uh, a, a sizable uh, fraction of the team were fortunate enough to go to a, a meeting in Germany um, about April last year. And it was essentially focused on sharing ideas and, and state-of-the-art in, in AI. Mm -hmm. um, 
And after the, the sort of two and a half days of the summit, we had a, an opportunity to have half a day of wrap up. In other words, the typical sort of let's collect ourselves and, and figure out what to do and action items, if you like. Sure. Now, it had occurred to me, frankly, after reading a, a book, that some of this sort of general purpose technology, technology that can really change the competitive landscape, the temptation is to apply that to fairly incremental problems. I think perhaps because it's safest, right? We get, mm-hmm. we get quick validation yeah. of the idea, right? And there are many cases where this really hasn't worked out well. It's taken a long time for the, the, the real value of this general purpose technology to be, to be fully realized. So I started to think about, well, why don't we go for something really bold or at least postulate what's the ultimate state if everything goes perfectly? In other words, if we don't constrain ourselves by what we think is hard, but what we think is not impossible, getting back to mm. that not impossible statement, what could be done and how would that move the company forward in a very dramatic way? And we, we essentially took the afternoon of 15 or 20 of us in the room and we had what is actually the most exciting and the best meeting I've ever had in my experience with the company, which was a, a bunch of people essentially postulating what is possible using this technology. We concluded actually that we should commit ourselves to three very audacious goals. The first goal was again, uh, assuming 100% success, could we improve or increase the productivity and place capital in our manufacturing plants by a factor of three? That in itself is a hugely valuable goal. Absolutely, yeah. Can we also um, challenge ourselves to increase the number of non-physical products Think of, think of products or value revenue that's derived from services, mm-hmm. um, obviously enabled by digital. And then the last one, which is the subject of today, can we accelerate our R&D process by a factor of 10? Now, that R&D process relates exactly to that first phase of, of product development I talked about, idea to product concept. And the factor of 10 has some rationalization to it. It was assumed to be the product of three accelerations. One was if we were able to make development data, materials data, available to every researcher and be able to visualize that data in a very visceral way, could we actually collapse the the number of natural iterations researchers go through in meandering through what is in fact hyperdimensional space when in materials development multidimensional to rapidly home in onto solutions which will get them to the answer faster. We reasonably anticipated that would give us a factor of two speed. And then we had another acceleration, which was to do with given enough materials data, can we put together machine learning models which would allow properties to be derived from formulation, in other words, components to end product. And more powerfully, can the reverse problem be satisfied, which is if a customer challenges with certain properties can we develop a model which would allow us to focus on, you might think of it the sweet spot or the starting point in formulation space. That is hugely powerful. Um, the, the amount of time and effort that's spent uh, going through formulations that will not lead to the answer is sort of breathtakingly large. That gave another factor of two. And then the final factor of two came from, can we start to automate some of operations, particularly in testing, and mixing and formulation. This is, this is a concept of using automation in terms of robotics, but also automations in, in terms of processes mm-hmm. to allow us, again, to accelerate some of the R&D operations. So those of you 
will have course done the math, two times two times two is in fact eight. And I, I felt as if there was enough uh, leeway in those numbers yeah. that I, I went for 10. Uh, call me naturally optimistic, but I felt 10 was, was a, a, frankly, an achievable goal. Carrie, that's quite an ambitious vision and goal that uh, Rob just talked through. Can you tell us how you developed a strategy to actually achieve it and how AWS prototyping helped you enable that vision? Yeah, sure. The first thing that we sat down and did after the Germany meeting was to look at what would be the different technologies that are available to us to actually start delivering on some of these things now. And what are some things that we don't know about that we need to do more research on? Mm. And we started creating a technology roadmap of what that might look like. And as we were building that out, we had uh, already had some experience with our AWS prototyping team friends, helping us earlier with a series of hackathons that we've built out over the last three years. So when we created that technology roadmap, it was an easy call to make to say, hey, when we're looking at these cloud technologies that we have not had an opportunity to play with before, why don't we leverage that team to help us build out a series of prototypes to show uh, whether or not we could make some of these things work to, to support Rob's vision. So you've developed this technology roadmap and and we often find that, you know, with technology shifts and change come, come cultural and organizational shifts as well. Is that something that you saw here? Uh, absolutely. When you're looking at a series of digital technologies and you're coming from a, a company where that while uh, research and innovation is core, there's a lot of very sequential steps that this company is used to doing. And we mm. wanted to do things a lot faster and we wanted to prove out value right away. We didn't want to spend a year building one feature, building out requirements, right, and then right. and and then ending up with a very small thing. We instead wanted a series of very quick prototypes that could prove value out now that we can then use to demonstrate to senior management and others to how we could actually leverage us to, to uh, help achieve Rob's math uh, that he has on that <laughs> piece of paper. Go ahead, Rob. I, I was going to say... Um... The, the, cult, the culture is twofold. I, I think a lot of the things we're trying to do actually fit quite well into, into 3M culture. Um, you know, we are used to uh, doing things differently. Uh, I, I like to think of innovation as being that act of being prepared to think and act differently to achieve our goals. I, we, we have a strong heritage of that, a lot of folklore. And a lot of what we're trying to do with uh, data sharing, for example, very naturally fits into the, the operations of the company, actually, the mindset of the people. I, I think... Historically, that's been done through uh, knowing someone, literally bumping into someone in the hallway, mm -hmm. going to the right poster session at the right time. Mm. It's these somewhat random stochastic events that we want to essentially accelerate dramatically by making it completely seamless. So you're not limited by who you happen to know. You're not limited by who you happen to bump into. You're able to sort of know and see everything that is, of course, valuable to you or pertinent to your, the problem you're trying to solve very seamlessly, very naturally. Nice. Um, and Carrie, you know, you touched on this a little bit. You've got your technology roadmap. Usually we focus in our podcast on one prototype, but here we're going to like take our listeners on the journey of these five separate and discrete 
initiatives that you had going on. Can you take us a little bit through the process of how you structured out those different projects uh, so that you could keep that rapid innovation and accelerated time to to seeing the value and proving out your technology solutions? Sure. I'll speak of them sequentially. However, we had multiple teams working on this, and mm. one of the advantages of working with the prototyping team is you take that team along with your own team, and you can inject them together to start working on these things in parallel, right? So there's, there's, there wasn't a necessarily a need for us to do them in sequential order, but they build nicely upon each other. Uh, so to start, we already had a team that had built out software to help us with solving the first part of the problem that we have, which is around data. And Mm. we have a large amount of materials and experiment data around the company. And so there was a series of of applications that had been built to to address new materials and experiment research. Can we find a way to start capturing that and uh, start using some uh, modeling to start looking for uh, some uncommon connections we could make with some of that data? What we wanted to do first and foremost is take those existing applications and features and move them onto the cloud platform. And to do that, we wanted to show how we could leverage serverless technology to provide scalability as well as operationalization to those applications, uh, but then also allows us to start exposing those services out beyond the application for others to start uh, building their own systems on top of those. So that was that first piece, which was really targeting that serverless technology stack. Mm. And while we were doing that, we also had another prototype that was done with some of our data teams. And that was all about making it easier to ingest multiple different kinds of data. I mentioned the spreadsheets data. We also have other historical systems lab systems, their proprietary systems, it's not easy to get that information out of there. So how can we creatively look at bringing data together from lots of different locations? And there is a bunch of technology that was prototyped along with some of the technology stack you would uh, see with a data lake type Mm -hmm. of um, implementation. But there was also a separate prototype to look at things such as um, more unconventional ways, such as um, Alexa skills inside of a lab, making it easier for our aerospace group, for example, to capture their research as they were going through voice, mm-hmm. as well as a future piece that is on the roadmap, which is leveraging NLP, which is all about being able to then look at some of these historical records that are sitting in Word documents, notebooks, et cetera. So there, that was another piece of the prototype. Um, we then uh, also moved into moving up further up the value chain. So those were all about existing data. How do you take our existing data, putting it into cloud technology so that we can make it easier for people to find. Right. But we wanted to really move up the value chain so that people didn't have to actually type it in at all. So how can we get the data in through some sort of automation? And that's where we had a prototype around the lab automation space. But very specifically in that case, we were looking at robotics. And so we were playing quite a bit with the RoboMaker stack Mm. and um, along with some of the other robotics tooling AWS has around fleet management, um, being able to distribute software down to robotics and actually taking a very specific task that our material scientists do today 
a very repetitive task and see if we could actually leverage robotics to, to emulate and do that for them on their behalf. So that was that third prototype. Um, then from there, we started moving then into um, the what we call the research reimagine prototype. And this is where now that we have historical data, we now have new ways to get data in through some more creative mechanisms, and we have some automation in place. Now that we have that all in one spot, how can we make it easier to do what Rob had mentioned earlier, which is how do we make it so that we can have those uncommon connections happen um, immediately? It's not something that I have to wait for a poster session to find Mm -hmm. somebody that's doing research in the same area I am. I can go into this system and I can find immediately who else is working on this what are their, their results they've received? And then how can we connect together? And that prototype is featuring the um, Kendra stack as long, along with some graph database technologies where we are also um, leveraging Neptune with that prototype. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is Kendra has behind it uh, AI-enabled indexing. So it's learning as we go through natural language search. If you think about a materials scientist they want to be able to go in there and they will write a search that I cannot, I could never <laughs> replicate. Yeah. I am not a material <laughs> right. scientist. So it's really hard to figure out what they would search for, right? Mm-hmm. How would I, mm-hmm. how would I prep the data in such a way that it, the results would come back the way we would expect them to. So leveraging Kendra. Context hoping, matters, right? Yeah. You got it. And we're hoping that Kendra will help us be able to index that information a lot faster because it will learn as we go. Not all materials are the same. We have abrasives, we have adhesives. And so while fundamentally they have names and attributes, that's about where they are, you know, they they, they stop for commonality mm. for what you would search for, right? So right. that's the intent of that particular set of prototype, which is what we refer to as the moonshot, right? So now that we have all this data in one spot, how can we actually start making these uncommon connections through our digital technology? Yeah, and and I love um, you know bringing it back to that culture of innovation and bringing that forward, um, Rob, in in how um, Carrie and her team approached this. We often at AWS also talk about this customer centric approach to how we do innovation and um, how would the customer you know see the differences and experience the differences in this approach. Yeah, so a great question. I, gets to a, a question I frequently ask the team, which is sort of, so what? You know, um, yeah. we we obviously are focused on a lot of internal capability here, but but having clear line of sight to how does that show up on the outside is something that I'm constantly thinking about. Um, to illustrate that, a lot of our customer interactions, particularly if they come to 3M, we have this great innovation center set up, and we can we can basically give a customer a whole day of of, of technology immersion. And I've, I've attended many of these, these uh, things. In fact, it used to be my job for several years. That sounds like a fun job. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very, yeah. very fun. And, and you learn a lot. You learn a huge amount. In, in that, I, I found in general, always dangerous to generalize, but in general, customers ask three kinds of questions. They will ask for, uh, we want more of this, uh, which is typically they're, they're very happy with an existing product and, and they want more of it, which is terrific, obviously, and, and looks like a, a great sales opportunity. Then they'll say, well, we like this product. We want it to be slightly different, slightly thicker, Mm -hmm. slightly wider, slightly stickier, whatever it happens to be. And that then looks like a straight line extension. It's um, it's, we engage typically the the lab in that associated with division and they can uh, 
rapidly or at least tell us whether the ask is reasonable or not and commercialize mm. it. Yeah. What's particularly interesting to me is this third question, which is typically very different. Uh, and it's it's more along the lines of, we've been thinking about this, and, and, and that might be something that's quite different to what they normally do. Um, do you think you could help us with that or do you think it's possible? So, right. for example, someone in consumer electronics might start saying, we're interested in ceramics. You know, a lot of consumer electronics are, are made of glass, aluminum, and stainless steel, and, and various mm-hmm. polymers. Ceramics are not commonly used, um, and they they may ask about this. And they're looking for us to to say, uh, to give some indication, obviously transfer some expertise, but also say, is it possible? Can we produce a prototype? Very much along the lines of the prototyping engagement we've had with AWS, but more. Yeah, I love the parallels. Yeah, absolutely. Is it is it possible? Mm-hmm. Now, this is is a tremendous. It, not only does it fit extremely well into 3M's innovation culture. You look at a lot of the great hallowed uh, products of the past, you know, they, they've been typically in this space where we didn't know we needed it, but all of a sudden it becomes very, very valuable. So very, a very important question. And, and what we found is that our ability to answer that question with clarity and speed is very much a function of actually who's in the room and who do those people know in the company. It's very much a constrained network problem that doesn't scale very well, actually. Um, what we'd love to be able to do, and in fact, the story we're, we're writing and continuing to evolve is how we take the tool set we've discussed today, you know, this, this R&D acceleration um, tool set, and apply it to that real-time situation of a customer now asking us, can we do this? And, and the, the vision is that we're able to essentially access these tools almost real-time to not only answer that question with clarity, at least say either yes or no with some certainty, but also potentially provide uh, samples which the customer could take away with them that day. Now, and if you start thinking about that, again, it gets back to that that start of the conversation, Sarah, with it. It's it's not impossible. Right. But what it becomes is an extremely powerful source of sustainable competitive advantage because all of a sudden a customer can be satisfied uh, that that something is possible and can be supplied by us very, very quickly. And that, I, I think, is is potentially uh, something we need to absolutely embrace and get hold of. I love it. You know, prototyping, and this will resonate hopefully with you, it sounds like you see the same in the R&D that you do, is this very experimental, and you often face unforeseen challenges and hurdles, don't you? And part of that journey of innovation is working through or around uh, those challenges as they come up. Carrie, can you talk to us a little bit? You had that in the robotics prototype that you did, didn't you? Indeed. Yes. Uh, Right when we were kicking that prototype off, we had a team set aside um, on the 3M side, as well as a prototyping team. And that's when that was supposed to start was right when COVID hit and closed down pretty much all of the travel, closed down Minnesota, where we're based out of them. And uh, obviously, from a health perspective, we cannot expose people to travel at that point in time. And so the teams came up with a creative solution. We ended up getting uh, duplicate robots one that the prototyping team had in AWS and one that 3M had access to. And um, they ended up just sharing and developing virtually um, on the same equipment, uh, just apart. So it it worked out fine in the end, but it was a very interesting experience 
just because there is so much value in having those people develop together, yes. sitting together. Yeah. The AWS people are there teaching our people about that technology. So we essentially had to recreate that all virtually. And uh, in the end, it worked out great. But there was a little bit of panic to start for sure. Yeah, actually, it made us realize how cheap and available really quite sophisticated robots have become. And that mm. is true. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Something you might not have been able to do 10 years ago, right? Or even right. five. Right. Um, and it kind of points out too, right, that sometimes those challenges aren't always technical, right? They're logistical, they're, they're op, uh, organizational, as, we, as we, we talked about. But Rob, can you first paint a picture for us? What, those robot, what are those robots doing? Like, I'm imagining, because I'm sitting in Silicon Valley, I'm imagining um, these, <laughs> these robots in the, someone's garage, right? The yeah, quintessential yeah. idea of innovation in, in someone's garage. But um, what are they doing? Tell, tell us about that process for material science. Um, sure. So you remember that, that Rob math, the, the last two X? Yeah. Um, uh-huh. So what, what, what we're starting to look at is, is, again, where is the lack of speed coming from? Right? Mm-hmm. A lot of, you know, obviously we know the importance of data that, that feeds the front end of that math. The more data we can get, uh, the better. Uh, material science data is known to be uh, sparse and noisy. In other words, not much of it. Mm-hmm. So how can we start to develop more data more consistently? Now, the, the first approach uh, is, is to take what we already do and, and put a swarm of robots around it and literally do it faster. And you might anticipate that you would get more data and it's more consistent and you'd probably be accurate. And unfortunately, it's actually quite expensive to do that and quite slow and major sort of engineering challenge to put it in place. What we're looking at, particularly with this prototype, was what's possible with a very low cost robot where we can start to challenge ourselves and say, maybe it isn't necessary to do the ultimate test the, the very standardized test, which, which can be slow and, and somewhat expensive, we think of that as being a high cost per data point event. Can we start to exploit some low cost per data point events where we're doing things quickly, cost being both in terms of time and dollars, and we're able to rapidly generate data sets which may not be fully quantified, now, this may not be fully accurate, but is qualitatively, in other words, the, the signal is absolutely mm-hmm. in the right spot. And, in aggregate, and so yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. What, what we're looking at is can we overwhelm the system with low cost per data point data, which is very which is able to rapidly point the researcher at this at this sweet spot of where we should focus next. I think you, you gotta think about materials development as a as a very tortuous, meandering path through a, a lot of two-dimensional slices, trying to optimize two things at the same time. And after a couple of years of development. And when you look back, this is the truly insidious part, you realize that you didn't have to move very far, but you had to take the meandering journey to get there. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of a frustrating thing to, to, to do and to watch as I, I've done it in the past myself. So that's the idea. Can we, can we use, obviously, the, the emergence of, of very powerful, low-cost robots, very capable, plus, of course, very capable digital tools to drive them, to see what we can do with this uh, low-cost per data point uh, realm so that, that's that's the basic concept we were pushing. Yeah, and really reimagining the the whole way your process is working, right? Um, no. Carrie, can you give us uh, an idea? Where are you now, and what's next on your list here of innovation and and uh, on your journey to to getting to that ten x goal? Yeah, that's a great question. Next, we're going to take all of these prototypes as we finish up the research reimagined one um, right now. 
Um, the intent is to put them together and show a full systems end-to-end demonstration starting from the beginning with the robotics demonstration of performing the experiments to getting that data, visualizing it now, demonstrating how some of the new AI models work, um, bringing that all the way up to then being able to do that search capability and bring that as an as an end-to-end uh, demo for uh, demoing mm-hmm. the art of the possible. And the intent there then is to use that with senior management and others to look for opportunities where they would like to invest more um, when they see that. And then also to get to the spot where Rob was just mentioning, which is how can we move it up then to that next level so that we're actually helping with the salesperson, with the customer, and actually starting to provide those services as well. That would be that next piece. Exciting. Very exciting. So just to wrap up here, um, you know, this is, again, quite an ambitious uh, project and, and initiative that you've you all have set out for yourselves. And in taking this approach of building out your roadmap and then breaking it into those constituent parts that you can rapidly experiment with prototype and 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 get those proof points. Carrie, what's your takeaway here? What like what would you share with our audience about the journey that you've had? Yeah, I think the most important thing that we found was while it was important to create that technology roadmap and it it was more important to just do it and to just mm-hmm. try it. Mm-hmm. Um, by building out the prototypes, we could find out very quickly whether it was going to work or not work. And that allowed us to just pivot then at that point in time, depending on the results. And and waiting to do something and doing something uh, in an elongated way to make sure it's perfect and just right, that wouldn't have worked for us here. We needed to be able to build the prototype and prove out the value and move quickly. So just do it. Just build it. Awesome. And and Rob, final thoughts for you? Yeah, I, I think I think having the audacious goal has been really inspiring, you know, for a lot of people. So I, I definitely thought that was a just a wonderful exercise. The other thing, um, we we deliberately set up teams that were very diverse, actually, to to mm. do this. You know, we we were clearly developing uh, software, but actually we had a team that was a combination of software and uh, chemists. Um, so. Okay. Imagine a, a, a PhD MIT chemist being part of a software development team. And I have to say for the first few months, uh, they did not enjoy the experience. Um, and, I, and I heard all about it. But, but yeah. the payoff has been that these folks have now become essentially um, evangelical. Uh, and, yeah. and they have been really instrumental in bringing that technology into the labs, which of course is where the value is realized. And uh, have have been able to really um, spread the 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 knowledge and the technology beyond just a software development project, which is awesome, absolutely awesome to see. They become your ambassadors, right? Yes, they um, certainly do. Awesome. I love that idea of the cross-functional team. We we call that a two pizza team here at mm-hmm. AWS, and often can can achieve so much more with a small and very focused team with those goals, right? Yes. So exciting to hear from both of you about this journey. I thank you for joining us. And we'll look forward to seeing if Rob's two times two times two equals 10 uh, in, the, uh, <laughs> in the ultimate rollout of of, uh, of your research reimagined platform. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having us. I 
I'd like to thank our listeners for coming on today's journey with us. Innovation Ambassadors is a production of the AWS Media Series. Look for future episodes of our vodcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite streaming platform. If you have ideas for future episodes or comments on this one, send us a tweet at hashtag AWS Innovation Ambassadors and share your thoughts. Thank you.